Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The volume. Just a reminder, you can catch me recording this podcast live on AMP. AMP is the new live radio app that lets you call in and chat with me in person while I'm recording. Get the app on Apple's App Store and make sure you follow me at Chris Mannix to get notified when I go live. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We have a tremendous show for you today. Corey Erdman, writer, BoxingScene.com, broadcaster, DAZN, ESPN, amongst other places. He's going to join me to talk about all the news in boxing this week. And Clarissa Shields, the quote herself, number one pound-for-pound women's fighter. She is back in action this weekend, June 3rd. She takes on Marcella Cornejo uh, in Detroit. That's a fight you could watch on zone. But first, Clarissa will be here. Talk to me about that fight. And given her unvarnished opinion on Hannah Gabriels, her former opponent, who tested positive for a banned substance being out of that fight. So you don't want to miss that interview with Clarissa Shields. Uh, but first, as promised, Corey Erdman, BoxingScene.com, DAZN broadcaster. He's actually going to be on the call this weekend, calling the fight, Clarissa Shields, uh, Marcella Cornejo uh, in Detroit for DAZN. Uh, Corey, before we kind of look ahead to some of the news of the week, I want to give a actual round of applause. Like, actual applause to Lee Wood over in the UK. Like, Lee Wood beat Mar- uh, Mauricio Lara on Saturday by decision. <sighs> I didn't pick that outcome to happen. Certainly, Three, four months after Lee Wood was knocked out by Mauricio Lara, I didn't think he would win a decision against him. I doubly didn't think he would win a decision after Mauricio Lara came in way overweight and was close to a full weight class heavier than him going into that fight. I actually thought it was kind of crazy that Lee Wood and Ben Davison went through with this fight. The more prudent thing to do would have been to say, you know what? We're not fighting. Lara, he can't make weight. He's done. That featherweight title that was on the line, that's vacant. How about we do me and Josh Warrington for that featherweight title in a couple of months? Bigger fight, more money. Lee Wood says, nope, not going to happen. I'm fighting this guy. I don't care how much he weighs. I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm getting in the ring, and I'm fighting Mauricio Lara. And Lee Wood fought the fight of his life outboxed Lara, made him look amateurish at times during that fight, and came away with the decision and got back his 126-pound title. So let's start right there. That was the most impressive performance of the weekend. There are some good ones. You saw Conlon get knocked out by Lopez. Alexis Rocha picked up another stoppage win. But Lee Wood taking on a guy that has become a boogeyman in the 126-pound division and just boxing circles around him, picking up the only knockdown of the fight 
in the second round. I thought that was incredibly impressive by Lee Wood. Yeah, it was. And, and I try not to kind of get into psychological analysis uh, of, of fighters uh, leading up to fights and when I'm evaluating fights too much because I don't genuinely know what's going on in their heads. But in the case of Lee Wood, I do think that you have to point something like that out because I think that the, the table sort of turned in terms of the the mental standpoint of those two fighters heading into the ring. When Lara comes in overweight, suddenly I think Lee Wood thinks, oh, I am more ready for this fight. And and the, the dynamic beforehand was, again, as you stated, Lara as this boogeyman, as a guy who might look a little bit unorthodox, but is eventually going to hunt you down and get you. There's there's an intimidation factor that Lara really does carry into the ring, and he builds that up with the way that he conducts himself. And I think that Wood in that moment decided that that was gone, that maybe the mirage was gone. And were there probably other factors that uh, made him want to take that fight when, as you said, he didn't necessarily have to, that they slip him some extra money to go through with it? Were there you know, external pressures to make sure that that event still went went on? Yeah, probably. But I also think that in that moment, he decided oh, I'm more ready than this guy. I still have a game plan. And I bet that if he's that much overweight, that this game plan that I have to to, to stay composed, to outbox him, that's going to work this time. And it did. He, he made every correct decision, both in taking the fight and in what he did inside the ring. And it altered now the trajectory of his career. Shit, I still wouldn't have done it. I mean, I still wouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get all those things that you're talking about, but it's still Mauricio Lara who just battered Josh Warrington in their first fight to, against each other and probably would have done it again if that fight didn't get uh, called off in the second round uh, of the rematch. Knocks him out cold with an absolutely vicious left hand four months earlier. I still wouldn't have gone through with it. I still would have gone through with it. Credit to Lee Wood. Credit to Ben Davison, too. Great game plan. And give Ben Davison credit because the process of Lee Wood winning this fight in May began back in, what was it, January, February, when they first fought. Because Ben Davison quickly threw in the towel after Lee Wood was knocked down uh, by Lara in that first fight. Took a lot of criticism for that because people, you know, social media, wherever, suggest he should have let Lee Wood keep trying to fight, let the champion go out on his shield, as we hear so often in boxing. Ben Davison knew that this could be coming, that a rematch could be coming. And if he had let Lee Wood take a bigger beating in that fight, maybe he wouldn't be the fighter we saw last Saturday night. So, Credit to Lee Wood for doing it, but I feel like Ben Davison, who has emerged as one of the best young trainers in all of boxing, uh, deserves a lot of credit for uh, for everything he's done surrounding this these two last, last two fights. Yeah, Davison has a very, uh, I think, a very modern approach to the sport. You know, with the, with the analytics that he uses, with the tape study that he uses, and I think a very empathetic approach to the sport. Uh, both in terms of, you know, as, as you mentioned, the, when he decides to take his fighters out of fights, but also the types of game plans that he employs as well. He is a safety first trainer. I don't think that that's a, a pejorative to call him that. I think that he wants his fighters to win while taking as little punishment as possible. Uh, and, and I think that as the sport evolves and we learn more about it and, and we start talking about fighters in, in a different way, I think as viewers are becoming more and more empathetic as well. I think that you're going to see more trainers of the ilk of Ben Davidson emerge. I think that the the hardened trainers, the old school guys will just let fighters go to, to the bitter end. Uh, I think that they're going to start to fizzle out. And I think that you're going to see more trainers uh, behave the way that Davidson does and approach the sport the way that he does. Yeah, and for Lee Wood, who said in the ring, he's probably got two fights left. I would imagine the next one, you know, could be a showdown with Josh Warrington, uh, a domestic fight. City ground is where he wants to see that fight take place over in the UK. Uh, and then maybe go for a unification fight. I think a Conlon rematch would have been the most marketable, but Lopez just detonated Conlon in that fight. And you know, Lee Wood, I think, has a very good chance against Lopez, but maybe you pump that fight down the road if you want to do a unification fight later in the year. Um, the big loser this past weekend, though, when it comes to this 126-pound title picture... My man Ray Ford. My man Ray Ford does not come out clean in all this. Ray Ford is uh, one of the top contenders at 126. He was angling for a title shot at 126. I saw members of his team, Corey, in uh, Indio, where I was for the uh, Rocha Young fight. Some of them were part of Team Anthony Young. And 
you know, on Friday, they were, I know they were watching with anticipation because I think a lot of them, I know a lot of them, were hoping that Mauricio Lara stopped Lee Wood and then Mauricio Lara moved up, vacating that title, giving them a shot at 126 pound fight, uh, title fight. Now, Lee Wood, you know, for financial reasons, is not going to go near Ray Ford. Now, Ray Ford has got to go up to 130. And maybe Oshaki Foster is up there for a good fight. 130 has got some champions, but not, it's not the most uh, dynamic weight class in terms of names uh, in that division. So shout out to Ray Ford. I know you were working hard to get that title shot at 126, but uh, I don't think 126 is where you're going to get your first shot at a, uh, a world title. All right. Um, the big news over the past week in boxing was the official announcement of Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence Jr. These two stars, top five pound-for-pound fighters, at least on my rankings, uh, they are going to meet July 29th in Las Vegas for all the marbles, all the belts at 147. It is reportedly a deal that has a bilateral rematch clause, so theoretically we could see this fight twice uh, in 2023, though let's just you know worry about the first time, uh, the first one uh, in the moment. Um I'll ask you the question this way, Corey. Are you as excited about this fight in July of 2023 as you would have been in July of 2021? Ooh, that's a good, that is a good question. Um, I think the answer is probably no, but that's not because I think that this is going to be any worse of a fight or anything like that. I think that there is something to a big fight being made at kind of the first instance that it could be made. Uh, and also, you know, we've seen a lot of big fights over the last little while that will rival Spence Crawford in terms of uh, their magnitude, right? So it, it's not like it's going to get lost with, with those other fights. But in in the time that we've waited for this fight, you know, we've seen a number of heavyweight super fights. We've seen, uh, you know, Tank Davis and, and Ryan Garcia, not necessarily comparing those in terms of the skill level to this fight, but these are big fights and we've had those happen. So um, maybe I'm not as excited as I would have been, you know, say two years ago, but ask me again on uh, the, the week of the fight, Chris, and, and I think my answer probably changes. And I think that the same could be said, I, you know, there's a, a a vocal contingent of of fans who for a while were saying, I'm no longer interested in this fight. Even if it gets made, I'm not going to watch it. They've, they've lost me as fans. I bet those people come around. They'll be come back. back. They'll be back. So be I, back. I, I'm treating yeah. it the same. They'll all be back. Um, yeah, I guess I'd have to go back even further um, with where my excitement was peaking. And that was probably before the car accident with Errol Spence because yes. he has been a different fighter since that car accident. I'm talking about the big one where he flipped the single car, uh, single vehicle accident, flipped it over a bunch of times, barely escaped uh, with his life, had a lot of damage to his face that kept him out of the ring for an extended period of time. And... You know, the fights he had subsequent, uh, I believe beginning with Danny Garcia, were, you know, he, he was more boxer than brawler. And not that he was a pure brawler to begin with, but, you know, when guys were hurt, you would see Errol Spence go in and try to hurt them even more. Uh, the fights I've seen more recently have been Errol Spence showcasing his boxing ability. And look, good for him. He's a talented boxer. He's a huge guy at 147 but you know that that to me changed some things with this fight it's still an ultra competitive fight a coin flip but I guess ultimately I may always wish that we saw this fight prior to the Errol Spence car accident that it happened before then uh, because I think it would have been more interesting at least in the ring there would have been maybe different fighters uh, in the ring but it's still it's an outstanding fight and credit to Errol Spence for you know, for, for getting this, you know, I give Crawford credit too, but credit for Errol Spence for getting this done and pushing for it because you and I heard the same things for months. You know, Errol Spence going to 154, going to fight Keith Thurman. Even folks at Showtime that I talked to, like they were planning for Spence versus Thurman at 154. He was done at 147. He's, a, again, a huge guy at 147. Uh, making that weight over the last however number of years had to have been incredibly difficult. So credit to him for hanging in there and telling his people, Al Heyman, the people involved, we're going to get this fight over the finish line. We're making this fight happen because I'm not leaving welterweight until it's done. So I give Spence a lot of credit for that. Yeah, and and credit to, to Terrence Crawford for coming around too because, you know, last time I was on here, we talked about this in the context of, of Regis Progray 
and how sometimes being distrustful of the boxing machine and, and its mechanisms can sometimes lead you to make decisions that aren't best for your career, even if you think that they're... No, Regis Prograde jumped you know, right to the boxing machine, didn't he? <laughs> right, well, yeah, there you go. You know, it came right, right back, back around. It. Right. You know, in, 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 in Terrence's case, I think that there was a period of time where you thought, oh, man, you know, he's going to be fighting on BLK Prime, he's kind of he's going to be this independent thinker that's going to take himself out of this big fight, but ultimately did come back around and, and make it happen. I mean, I I want to be, I want to make sure that we remain excited for this, right? I mean, this is this is a fight that we've been asking for for so many years, and you know, I don't want to get to that point where we're saying, oh, but is it as good as it could have been three years ago? Like, yeah, I mean, Errol Spence was in a horrifying car accident. He probably isn't the same athlete that he absolutely could have been at his peak, but this is still going to be a fantastic fight. And I, and I don't want to bury this before it actually happens. We, you know, some, you know, we, we beg for these crumbs in boxing and we should be able to get excited for, for nice things when they do happen. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, that car accident, by the way, October 10th of 2019. So it was just after the win over Sean Porter. So he's had the win over Danny Garcia. He had the win, which was a stoppage win, over Jordanus Ugas. The other factor in this, Corey, is, you know, does ring rust come in for Errol Spence? I mean, he has been yeah. very inactive over the last few years, in part because of the car accident in 2019. Didn't fight again until December of 2020. Didn't fight again after that until April of 2022, and now he's going to have more than a year off since taking on Terrence Crawford, who, you know, he's been the one we've talked about having issues with ring rust being off for too long. Terrence Crawford just fought last fall, so he's, you know, at least on paper, going to be the more sharp of the two. Do you think that could be a factor in this fight? Yeah, I think that is a big factor. I think for me... When I'm breaking down this fight, and and you know I'm not prepared to give a, a prediction or anything like that right now, but the the thing for me is always when I'm picking fights that are this razor thin, I tend to edge towards the fighter that I've seen win in uh, a variety of different ways. And Crawford, to me, I think uh, has shown himself to be a little bit more adaptable. Now, maybe that's because Spence, uh, you know, hasn't had to switch it up too much. But I think that Crawford is also a fighter that fights more on instinct than Spence does. And it makes me kind of lean toward him when I'm playing his simulations in my mind. But frankly, that's just because I've seen Crawford do so many different things and win in different ways, win rounds in different ways. Uh, Spence really hasn't had to... Um, he hasn't had to vary his approach as much as Crawford has decided to throughout his career. So yeah, when when you combine uh, the ring rust factor and just the 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 depth of the toolbox of Terrence Crawford, um, you know I, I'm liking how it's looking for him heading into this fight. It doesn't mean I'm necessarily picking him in this fight, but I think that there's reason to kind of be edging towards him right now. Is the winner of this fight the number one pound for pound fighter in boxing? I think that the winner of this fight. I mean, probably has. They have the argument that they have the best win of any active fighter, right? And and, and that's going to do a lot. And recency bias goes into the making of these rankings too. It's going to be hard for the the makers of these lists, and I, I'm one of them. I'm I'm on the the mm -hmm. ring ratings panel too. It's going to be hard after this fight, especially if someone wins decisively, to not install that person as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. It's just it's going to be too tempting. So, I mean, does that definitively make them the best fighter in, in the world or not? I don't know, but I know it's going to get the winner of this fight uh, a good chunk of those votes. So, I mean, the answer is the same either way, right? And you figure there's not going to be... Uh, well, you know, it, look, it could be... The reason it could be difficult is... When is the Inouye Fulton fight scheduled for? Like that's well, that'll July, be yeah. Right? That's yeah. So July, within a couple August, weeks of that know. fight too. Yeah, 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 right around there. Like that. That to me makes is what would make it more difficult. Because if Inouye beats Fulton, who is you know unified title holder at 122 in his first fight at 122, man, it's going to be tough to keep Inouye off that list given everything he's done at 118. But look, I've got Terrence Crawford at number one on my list right now. If he beats Errol Spence, I will keep him at number one on my list. Spence, if he beats Crawford, you know we talk about resume. There won't be many guys in boxing with better resumes than Errol Spence. I mean, everybody at 147. Everybody that's elite uh, at that weight class. He will have cleaned out the division. We use that phrase a lot, but Errol Spence will have cleaned out that division, at least in terms of guys um, that are part of his kind of era. 
Uh, and then maybe he goes to 154, and uh, we can talk Jamel Charlo at a different time, uh, depending on what happens with uh, with him in the future. All right, um, Ryan Garcia has been back in the news the last couple of weeks. He joined forces uh, with Derek James, who trains Errol Spence and Jamel Charlo. We knew that a couple of weeks ago. Now, Ryan Garcia is on social media saying he wants to fight Rolly Romero next for the 140-pound belt. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya... Uh, posted a picture of him with Rolly Romero from the Alexis Rocha fight this past weekend. Oscar on Twitter claims he's going to present options to uh, Lupe Valencia, the manager of Ryan Garcia, at some point over the next couple of days. I actually think this is a perfect fight for Ryan Garcia. I mean, look, Ryan does not need to be in an A-level fight. And even though Rolly Romero has one of the four major titles... No one is calling Rolly Romero an A-level fighter. He is a fun fighter. He is a guy that sure as hell knows how to sell a fight. But based on what we've seen in recent performances, whether it's Tank Davis or whatever that mess was with Ismael Barroso, a fight that he was losing before Tony Weeks injected himself into that uh, situation, that's a winnable fight for Ryan Garcia. And everybody's been clamoring for Ryan Garcia to fight for a major world title. Well, the opportunity's not going to get much better than that. And, Corey, at some point, Roley's going to get himself into a big fight because he does talk a lot and he is good for a promotion. So if you're Ryan Garcia and you're Golden Boy, you want to be that big fight. Because if Roley Ramiro goes out and fights, like, Devin Haney, he's probably going to lose. If he goes out and fights Regis Progre, he's probably going to lose. If he fights any of the top guys at 140, he's going to be a heavy underdog in whoever against whoever... He fights. So I kind of like this. You know, even though it's his debut as a full-time junior welterweight, I kind of like this fight for Ryan Garcia if they can make it made. How do you think? I love this fight for Ryan Garcia. I think that this is the exact direction uh, that he should go. And, and and you're right, Chris. Like, is there a more vulnerable world champion in the sport right now than Roly Romero? Like, there might not be. And he's on the short list if, if you were ranking which of the, the current world titleists right now are the, the most beatable, it would be Rolly Romero. In fact, he won his title uh, in a fashion that was uh, wholly undeserving. Maybe he would have ultimately won that fight, but it was a fight that he was losing to Ishmael Barroso. So uh, let me present another scenario to you. You know, Ryan's with a new trainer. Like, maybe you want a little bit of a bounce-back fight to see what he's got with, with a new style, a new approach. Uh, let's say the Rolly Romero fight hadn't happened. Um, you know, Ryan Garcia versus Ishmael Barroso. Like, is that kind of the type of fight you're thinking of for Ryan Garcia? He doesn't need that. Why not fight the guy that technically beat Barroso and has a world title? Might not even be as tough of a fight as Ishmael Barroso, but there's a world title on the line and it'll probably sell a bunch of pay-per-views and make everyone a bunch of money. This is absolutely the fight that he should go after. I mean, this is for a variety of reasons. And it kind of keeps him in that ecosystem of all these names. There's a connection to Tank Davis. You know, he, he'll get a world title. Um, this is just the, the, the perfect way for Ryan Garcia to go. I, I think that they should do whatever they need to do to make this fight. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. You fight for a world title, and if you win, uh, Eric Gomez, Oscar De La Hoya, anyone in a position of power, if someone from the camp of Regis Progre calls, don't pick up the phone. If someone from the camp of Subriel Matias calls, don't pick up the phone. You, If you get this title, you proceed to do at least two lower-level title defenses. You look, at, you look up and down those mandatory rankings for the WBA, and you take the easiest possible option. Because I don't think just winning a world title solves all the problems that, are, that Ryan Garcia has with his game. He still needs a lot of work. I just think he can still get a win against a fighter like Roldy Romero even while working out the kinks in his game with Derek James. But if you put a title around Ryan Garcia's waist and you have Devin Haney moving up, Devin Haney apparently going to show up June 17th in New Orleans to watch Regis Progre fight. If Devin Haney finds his way to getting a world title, all of a sudden, middle of 2024, end of 2024, Haney versus Garcia is a big fight. These two guys have history. They've fought five times in the amateurs. Uh, both these guys can talk. Uh, all of a sudden, that's a big fight. And it's also one that even if Devin Haney were to win, Ryan Garcia wouldn't get pulverized in a situation like that. You put him in with Progre, you put him with Matias, anytime in the near future. And that's a big-time problem for Ryan Garcia. So I think this is great. I think you 
You find a way to close that deal, Golden Boy. Make that fight September, October, November, however long Ryan Garcia needs to get locked in with Derek James. You know Roley wants that fight. My only hesitancy, Corey, is like we're ju- we're doing what we shouldn't be doing, which is pretending the Barroso stuff didn't happen, right? Like mm-hmm. there has just been, I have not heard a single thing from the Nevada commission about what happened with Tony Weeks and Barroso. I have not heard a single thing yet from the WBA about what happened and, and, and a resolution and like what they're going to do, if they're going to do anything for Barroso. Like I, as, as much as I think the Ryan Garcia Roller Romero fight is good, it's mainstream and it, it gets people excited a little bit, like Barroso should not get hosed because of this. He got hosed in that fight. That fight was stopped early. And, and if they had gone to replay, which they could have done after that round, they would have taken away the knockdown as well. So he wouldn't have been dinged with a 10-8 round, which would have put him in an even better position to win that fight. I just, I don't want to be that guy that moves on so quickly because I was banging the drum a couple of weeks ago that Nevada needed to do something. Uh, the WBA needed to do something. I still believe that. So I would like to see Barroso compensated in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a rematch, whether he gets a chance at another title. He deserves something, Corey, after all that happened to him a couple of weeks back. Yeah, I agree with all this. I think that, you know, what we're talking about here is if there can't be a remedy that would nullify that result, then what would be the best course of action? And if there won't be any kind of remedy from the commission, then, you know, I guess the most satisfying result is Barroso getting a shot at the winner of this fight. You know, I know that when Garcia yeah. called out Roman, hey, he perfect, said, perfect, right? Golden I, Boy, Golden Boy, sign up for that. There you go. Well, there exactly. Well, I'm and, sure Golden, and, Golden Boy would happily put Barroso on that undercard. Would happily put him on that undercard. 100% that's actually something. That's interesting. That's I. That might be the best of both worlds. That good point there. Bravo on that yeah. point. I didn't think of that up top of my head, but that's that's a great idea. Well, and and Ryan said in in calling out Roly, he said, "I'm doing this for Barroso." So he can, he I mean, can play the on, good guy come angle, on, too. Come on. Right? Come on. You get the victory and you say, all right, Ishmael, my boy, listen, I'm going to do you a solid here. You'll get a, You deserve a shot at this title. And then you have Garcia Barroso as his first title defense. That's, that's exactly what, what you're lining up in your fantasy booking, too, is perfect. I'm doing, uh, I'm not. I, I was with you up until I'm doing this for Barroso because he ain't doing this for Barroso. That's for sure. He's doing it for <laughs> no. <laughs> nor should he, by the way. He shouldn't be worried about the, you know Ishmael Barroso and what's happening with him. He's worried about himself, and this is a a great opportunity for him to potentially get a world title and then get a very winnable first fight after that world title. I like that plan uh, for Ryan Garcia. Also, love that Devin Haney is gonna apparently pop into Progress fight. On the 17th. I just, the more people I talk to around Devin Haney, the more I believe he's done at 135. I just, I I don't think, you know, unless a Tank Davis fight materializes over the next few weeks, I don't think he's going to stay there. Um, He obviously has a relationship with Matchroom. He said he called Eddie and said, you know, I want to talk about Progre. I would imagine Progre wouldn't be his first fight at 140, but you've also got, you know, you got Jack Catterall who just got a win. That's an option for Devin Haney. Uh, Mid-July, you're going to have Richardson Hitchens going up against Montana Love. The winner of that fight is an option for Haney. You can build towards a pro-gray fight uh, before the end of the year. Uh, I I just, I I don't see him staying at 135, Corey. I think that, I mean, there's people that are saying, do the rematch, he's never going to do that. Uh, There are people saying he's going to fight Shakur Stevenson. I don't think that fight needs to happen right now. I think it needs to happen, but I don't think it needs to happen right now unless Tank is there, move up, and start the process of becoming uh, a unified champion at 140 pounds. I mean, that that to me both feels like where it's going and feels like where it should be going for Devin Haney. Yeah, I, I get the sense that Haney feels satisfied with what he's accomplished at 135 and, and justifiably so. And I also feel like physiologically he is at he is like hitting his head on the ceiling of uh, the number of times he could possibly make 135. He looked gigantic in that Lomachenko fight. And obviously that's in in comparison to Lomachenko, that probably makes it seem a little bit more drastic, but Devin seems to have put on even more muscle mass, which means he's cutting from even less body fat, which means I don't know how much longer he can do that. And and the answer may be zero times. And again, like there are uh, very appetizing fights at 140 for him still. So it's not like he's running away from challenges at 135. Of course, 
there may be challenges he may have to put off or uh, avoid in 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 favor of other ones at 140. But uh, to me, I, I don't think the optics of this look bad. And also, it doesn't matter if your body can't make it anymore. It can't make it anymore. And I, I am guessing that Devin is at that. I think if you just look at some of the pictures from the actual weigh-in, not the ceremonial weigh-in where he was on stage with Lomachenko and shoved him, uh, the actual weigh-in, which took place hours earlier, some of the pictures that were circulating on social media from that, he was emaciated. I mean, I give him credit. He he made the weight. I think he missed it by 0.1 the first time, but five minutes later he came back and was under 135. He made it, but his body was just so completely drained, and that's not healthy. And look, I've said this before. You know, one of the things that Teofimo Lopez said to me in the ring after he lost to George Cambosis was, man, I should have moved up. I should have moved up. And Lopez made 135 for that fight, but he knew among the reasons that he was not himself in that fight against Cambosis was he wasn't made, you know, for that weight class anymore. So it's better to realize it sooner rather than later. And with the difficulties of a fight against Shakur Stevenson or even a rematch with Lomachenko, it's just not worth it for him to do it at 135. Shakur's eventually going to make it to to 140. And look, I, I was among the people that like I scored the fight for Lomachenko, but I wasn't apoplectic when, you know, Devin Haney won. You know, there were some very, very close rounds. My issue, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, was Dave Moretti scoring the 10th round in favor of uh, yes, Devin Haney, yeah. which that was a clear win for Lomachenko. So I was more looking at it at a micro level. On a macro level, you know, th- there's no... No one's going to look at that and scream robbery. At least they shouldn't because that was a close fight that Devin Haney edged. And look, when you're a great fighter and you're in big fights, a lot of them are going to be close. I mean, how many close decisions has Canelo Alvarez won? <laughs> like, you go back to Arislandi Lara. I mean, he's won close decisions. That happens sometimes when you put yourself up against the best. I don't think Devin Haney has anything to answer for when it comes to Lomachenko. And I don't think he should aggressively look for uh Shakur Stevenson fight at 135. Yeah, I, I think that, yes, when, you, when you're when you a great fighter and you fight other great fighters, you wind up in close fights, decisions of which uh, can be debated, right? Like, there are, I, I can't think of a single, you know, kind of all-time great fighter that doesn't have at least one controversial scorecard on their record that went in their favor. Sometimes you do need a little bit of luck, right? Like when you fight the best fighters, most often you don't knock them out. Most often it goes to the scorecards, and when they're evenly matched, they can often be debated. And so that happens. You know, Mayweather, you know, you think of the, the prime greats, all of them got the, the, the benefit of the doubt on a scorecard or two uh, Jose at, at Luis some Castillo point in their career. Everybody. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And look, if you're Haney, I mean, you're, you're kind of becoming a villain in a way. And I know, like, I know Devin a little bit, having called his fights for so many years. Um, I don't think he loves it as much as Floyd loved it. I think Devin would want, like, wants to be more embraced by the fans, but you can make a lot of money being the villain. You can make a lot of money being the guy that nobody can beat. I mean, people weren't tuning into Floyd Mayweather fights, at least not at the end, to see something that, that was going to be wildly entertaining. They were tuning in to see if Shane Mosley or Victor Ortiz or Marcos Maidana or any of these other guys could beat him. Like, they wanted to see him lose and see this guy derailed. Devin Haney can kind of take the conductor's seat in that train and make himself a boatload of money doing things that way. So not a bad thing to be uh, not popular amongst the uh, the, the boxing purist uh, there, Devin Haney. Uh, last thing for you, Corey. We will both be in Detroit, Michigan on Saturday. Little Caesars Arena where Clarissa Shields will face Marcella Corneo. She will be defending her middleweight titles in that fight. Clarissa, of course, is a three-time and three-division undisputed champion, done some remarkable things over a short period of time in her career. But, and I brought this up with Clarissa in her interview later. Like, she she really wants to feel more of the love, to put it that way. Like, you know, some of the things she's posted on social media where she's talking about how she should be considered one of, if not the faces of boxing that she should be number one on every pound-for-pound list. I saw her tweet something out uh, after the Katie Taylor-Chantel Cameron fight where she's talking about, well, is Chantel now number one? I don't know. Like, just kind of poking the people that are not talking about her uh, more. Uh, I'm of the opinion, Corey, that the only way 
for Clarissa Shields to get kind of the attention she wants is to knock people out. And, you know, the, the boxing purist may kind of hate that and say, well, wins are wins. She's racking up wins at three weight classes, all that stuff. And that's great. And it's why she is widely considered the number one uh, woman on the pound for pound list. But to get traction and to be on like these highlight reels that help you gain traction, you got to get stoppages. It's as simple as that. Like Clarissa Shields just beat Savannah Marshall. But you can argue that Savannah Marshall financially is in a better position than Clarissa Shields because, I mean, she's got that kind of one-punch knockout power that makes people want to watch her. It's what it's what's going to make her fight with Franchon Cruz Desern a couple of weeks from now, or a couple of weeks from, or three weeks from now, about when we're recording this. Uh, that's what's going to make that fight so compelling. So my advice to Clarissa Shields, not that she needs it, but... Maybe it's take more chances. Maybe it's look for more opportunities to get stoppages because she's already got the talent. She's as talented as they come in women's boxing. She's got the hardware. Three-time undisputed champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's got it. What she doesn't have is that reason for the casual fan to tune in. And that comes from knockout power and, and, and knocking out opponents. And that can come via the one-punch knockout. That can come via flurrying. And I know Clarissa's fought top-tier opponents, and as we just discussed, when you fight top-tier opponents, you don't get the kind of spectacular stoppages that you get uh, earlier in your career. But we're looking at an opponent in Marcella Cornejo, good fighter, ranked number one by all three of the sanctioning bodies. But this, to me, Corey, is an opportunity for Clarissa Shields to make a statement, to go out there and put this girl down and give her team, and give her that kind of highlight reel push that you only get from securing knockouts. Yeah, I I think that some highlight reel knockouts would probably give Claressa a little bit of a boost. Um, But I I think that, you know, when you ask the question, like, what would make Claressa Shields more popular? I I think that the answer would be if Claressa Shields were just an entirely different person. And I don't mean that in, in a bad way at all. I mean that Claressa is, I mean, number one, she has been a victim of the fact that she is so good and so far above her contemporaries. Like, you can, mm. if you're making a list of athletes uh, who are, uh, and the, the distance between them and their immediate contemporaries, the people that they could feasibly compete with, Clarissa is on that list for having the widest gap between her and anyone else that could possibly fight her or could have possibly fought her during her career so that like she's always been a victim of that but also Clarissa is just like she's gonna play the antagonist a little bit on on social media right like I know that she does believe those things like she probably does believe she should be the face of boxing but she also knows that when she says it is going to trigger a a certain uh, demographic of people there are going to be people in her mentions that are going to be furious about that and that is a a small sample size but I mean let's let's not pretend let's let's not fake the fact that if you look in Clarissa's mentions that there isn't an element of both race and gender that are at play uh, that are that is motivating certain people to not like her so that's already there too i i also think that we need to quantify you know what do we mean by kind of hitting that next level in terms of popularity in boxing because Clarissa you know is probably in terms of just pure notoriety Right. And that's different from popularity in terms of like everyone loving you. But in terms of notoriety, I mean, Clarissa's probably had more mainstream coverage or as much mainstream coverage as almost anyone you can think of over the last, you know, this generation of fighters. And 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 that's from I'm talking like centrist publications like People and Good Good Morning America and whatnot. Clarissa's on there. Like we'll use let's use Terrence Crawford and Aaron uh, and Errol Spence. For example, if we went on on the street and asked a hundred people to identify kind of these three people, I bet the number of people that could identify those two male fighters is probably very close to the number of people who know who Clarissa Shields is. And she's fought on every major network. She's had a whole lot of success. I just think that she's going to be she's going to be held back by the factors that I just outlined. Almost mm-hmm. no matter what she does, even if she knocks. Mary Cornejo out of the ring and completely unconscious. I don't know how many of those would actually alter the trajectory or the number of people who are like, rah, rah, I love Clarissa Shield. That it's just going to be the case, I think. I think what you said about 
the contemporaries and how much better she is, that's as big a factor as any. I mean, Katie Taylor had an Amanda Serrano fight fall out, and a few weeks later, she was set to face Chantel Cameron in another mega fight. Like, Katie Taylor can look up and down her weight class and find mega fights that will headline and draw a lot of interest. Clarissa Shields right now, you know, cannot do that. That's why, you know, for Clarissa, as close as she is with Franchon Cruz de Zern, she's got to be rooting for Savannah Marshall to win this fight because a rematch with Savannah Marshall over in the UK is probably going to represent the most money for her. It probably will generate the most interest because that fight, even though she won cleanly, uh, that was the most competitive fight she's had in her career. Uh, you know, she needs she needs more opponents like that. You know, maybe it's down the line, Shadisha Green, who uh, I, you know, you're watching her and she's just uh, violent in the ring. She is a lot of fun to watch uh, in the ring. Uh, but she needs the kind of depth of opponents that Katie Taylor has. She does. Yeah. And, and that's that's what would get her, I think, to whatever level she's at right now. That's what would get her to the next one. Yeah, and, and, you know, maybe down the line, I know, like, Lauren Price is very young in her professional career, but yeah. if Lauren Price grows up from, from 147 and, you know, they kind of get in the same neighborhood, then you have another fight there. Um, that's always going to be an issue with Clarissa, but I think that she's probably going to be one of those athletes who is maybe better appreciated after the fact when we can fully contextualize everything. I mean, this is a woman who's going to have a feature film made about her with, I think, with, isn't yeah. Halle Berry the lead in the movie? She's had a novel based on her life a Netflix documentary like I think that we're going to better appreciate Clarissa Shields after the fact and it'll probably be a very profitable post career for Clarissa Shields as well as she relives her whole life story and career story as well but I mean she's done pretty damn well as I, there are most fighters would trade spots with Clarissa uh, just in terms of her income and almost every fighter would trade spots with Clarissa in terms of her achievements in the ring. So, Corey, you were sick last week. Yeah. Uh, so you couldn't be ring, ringside with us in Indio, California. On a scale of 1 to 10, how disappointed were you that you couldn't call Oscar Collazo's knockout win over Melvin Jerusalem that secured Collazo the 105-pound title? Uh, 11. To the, to the point that I would have been so upset and so grief-stricken with FOMO that I did not watch the broadcast live. I'm sorry, Dazone. I'm sorry wow. I didn't you know, give, give you my clicks. I had to go back and watch it after the fact because I would have been too upset. So instead, I watched Fatal Attraction. But shout out to Oscar Colazzo, who had just uh, another brilliant performance. And as I wrote about on Unboxing Scene on the column that's up, uh, I think right now on uh, UnboxingScene.com or from a couple of days ago, um, you know, a, a potentially kind of landscape-changing type fighter where between he... And the Shigioka brothers at 105, we now have an influx of young oh, talent that scores oh, knockouts. God. Listen, oh, I, I, you're all in on 105, Chris, aren't you? I know you are. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I can't. You love minimum weights. I love Oscar Guiazzo. He is a, a really you know compelling character at 105. And look, maybe 105 can become what 115 became 10 years ago when Chocolatito and... You know, Estrada and all those guys made a run. But for now, I'm going to uh, put a pin in that and end this podcast on uh, on that. Uh, Corey, <laughs> check Corey out this weekend. He will be in Detroit calling the Clarissa Shields, uh, Marcella Corneo fight uh, for DAZN. I will be there as well. Corey, appreciate the time, my friend. Anytime. And tune in Thursday night, Eric Bazinian, and Jose Macias on ESPN all Plus right. as well. Okay. It's a busy weekend. All right. Boy. All right. Goodbye. And when we come back, the self-styled greatest woman of all time, Clarissa Shields. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, that's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so I very recently finished moving. I mean, I guess you never really finished moving because a lot of things associated with a move that take up your time from furniture delivery to taking out stuff that is already there to home repair, home remodeling. I'm dealing with all that right now. The most invaluable resource I have had during this process is Angie. Angie's List, which many of you know, is now Angie, your home for everything home. Angie doesn't just get your home projects done. Angie gets them done well. With 20-plus years of experience combined with new tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing your home projects incredibly easy. We're here for you every step of the way on your home ownership journey, helping with everything from a leaky faucet to a full kitchen renovation, the full bathroom renovation is where this has come up big uh, for me. With over 220,000 pros in our network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job done well. Angie can help you get the best price for your project. Angie has projects that are priced upfront and clearly lays out the cost before you buy. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. With Angie, you can request quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps. The pros in our network are locally based. The pros have been rated and reviewed by others in your area who have actually used their services. In just a few taps in the Angie app or clicks on the website, you can have Angie tackle your home service project from start to finish. Or you can research and connect with local pros for your specific project. So download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. All right, Clarissa Shields is a two-time Olympic gold medalist, three-time, three-division undisputed title holder. On Saturday, she will defend her middleweight titles, but not against the opponent that was originally planned. Hannah Gabriels is out of a scheduled middleweight title fight. She tested positive for a banned substance in her place. Maricela Cornejo, who will take over and face Clarissa on June 3rd. Clarissa joins me here on the show. Clarissa, we're recording this in the immediate aftermath of the announcement that Hannah Gabriels tested positive. So what is, what's kind of going through you right now um, as you kind of digest this news by Hannah Gabriels? New wrong with defending gold. You know, I still have to um I still have to defend my undisputed championship here at my home turf in front of fifteen thousand fans here at Little Caesars Arena. So I can't focus too much on um, you know, Hannah Gabriel uh t- you know, testing dirty or whatever. I have to stay focused on the fight, you know. So um all I will say is just, you know, um I hope she get that stuff together and and I hope that this was an eye opener for all the girls in the sport that you know, when you're fighting for these belts and you're fighting for these world championships and under championships, we are at a level now to where we should be getting vital testing randomly 
for every match. You know, I've been getting body testing for all the girls since I fought against um, Christina Hammer. You know, so I think all the girls should be getting, um, you know, body testing because it's serious. And I and 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 I and I don't really want to. I don't know why she tested positive. I don't know if she was taking something or she used the cream. Who knows? I just know that I don't have anything in my system that is um, enhancing me. And she has something in her that can help enhance her. And that's why the fight is on. So I'm just kind of looking past it. And I'm in, and I'm actually excited that now we have a younger, fresher, um, you know, version of an opponent coming into the ring. And I plan to dismantle her just like I was going to do to Hannah Gabriels. Yeah, and you've obviously heard the uh, excuse used by Gabriel's team, which is her dog had some kind of procedure and some kind of cream that contained this banned substance was rubbed on the dog. I've heard of some excuses, Clarissa, in my time. That's a new one, for sure. That's a new one. What did you think when you heard that excuse? I just, you know, I just kind of shook my head, you know, and just, it's, it's not my place to judge. But what I will say, let the quote would have tested positive. You understand what I'm saying? They want to take my gold medals and make me be two-time undisputed champ instead of three-time. They they want to take away my win from Marshall. They will try to say anything to downgrade me, but the, especially if I had a fucking excuse like that. You know, excuse me. But I'm just trying not to really be angry about it because it's still fresh and it's still, um, you know, it's still just making me upset because I really wanted to get that win. You know, I already beat her, but I wanted to knock her out. I wanted to put this whole thing to rest. I hate when people use stuff over my head. And what I will say is, first time that me and Hannah Gabriel fought, there was no body testing. So that just makes me think, you know, was she doing something then? You know, so I'm just doing my best to just stay focused on my fight that I still have. I've been preparing very hard for a strong opponent, a crafty opponent. And uh, I just can't. Focus no more on Hannah Gables and her testing dirty. I'm focusing on Marcella Cornejo, who is, you know, six feet in height. Um, in she she's in shape. She has more fights than me. She's Mex she, she, she's Mexican. She's younger than Hannah Gabriels. And I know that she really wants to be undisputed champion. So I'm focused on her and I'm just happy that her and her team um, you know, worked with us to get this fight done and that she was in shape and ready to come and, you know, had this opportunity. Yeah, this is, I believe, the first Mexican fighter that you'll face in your career, which adds a layer of, of potential intrigue to it. If uh, I believe someone on your team told me that uh, when they were talking to me about this fight. Either way, um, taking this fight and a new opponent on short notice, you could have postponed this date, done it at a different time. Why was it important for you to fight on June 3rd? We're almost sold out. We're almost sold out at LCA. This is a huge opportunity for me. 15,000 fans here in Detroit at the first fight at Little Caesars Arena. And, and I'm the top of the bill, you know, bringing boxing back to Detroit. I would have been devastated if this fight wasn't able to happen. And I'm happy that that's why I'm saying, like, so much grace and so much gratitude to Marcella Conejo because I am a tough test. Um, I am the best. She will be in the ring with the best. And... I'm just happy that she's coming with this confidence. She's coming to win, and um, we're and, and we're going to put on a great a great show for the fans. And and, and now it'll be more, and it'll be you know USA versus Mexico now instead of uh, you know a USA versus Costa Rica. You are the most accomplished women's boxer in boxing history with the gold medals and the undisputed championships. Uh, but following you on social media the last couple of weeks, you still believe that you are not getting the level of respect that you feel you deserve. Why is that? Where do you see that at? Well, I mean, you, you, I think you tweeted something about how after Chantel Cameron beat Katie Taylor, you said, is Chantel Cameron number one? You talked about how you should be considered the face of boxing. It's, you sort of can read that as you feeling like you're not getting the high level of respect. No, no, no. To be fighting in front of 15,000 here in America, you know, on, uh, on the zone with the big TV network, and I'm making a lot of money this fight, I believe that my value in boxing has went up and that I am one of the, that I'm one of the faces of boxing. You know, um, I'm not going to say rather I'm the it, rather I'm the tits or the face or whatever, <laughs> or the booty <laughs> in boxing, but 
But I will say that I am one of the faces of boxing in that um I am just keep building my brand and getting better as I go along. So I'm not I believe that I deserve a, a more respect, but it's coming. To be fighting here in America in front of fifteen thousand with this opportunity at this venue is huge for me. And I believe that my next fight will be even bigger because we got plans to go and fight in Africa, to go back over there to the UK, you know, to fight at T-Mobile Arena. I believe that all those opportunities are there for me and it all um, will be decided June 3rd. (laughs) So you mentioned what your next fight would be. Uh, Two weeks after your fight, you've got your friend, Franchon Cruz Desern, defending her undisputed 168-pound championship against Savannah Marshall. Who will you be pulling for in that fight? I'll be pulling for a franchise. Um, Savannah Marshall is a tough test. You know, um, she's long, she's crafty, she's strong. And, but once again, I always say that, you know, uh, she never really fought at her weight. You know, she she was at 75 and was supposed to fight for a world championship and her fight got canceled. Then she went down, then she skipped 68 and came straight to 60 and started calling me out, saying that I was scared of her. I don't believe that Savannah Marshall has ever really been in there with a true 160-pound until she met me, until me and her got in right. Then she seen what a true athlete and what a true 160-pounder fights like. I believe that Frank John may not have the skills that I have to a, you know, to the degree. But I can tell you she's definitely bigger than me. She's stronger than me. And uh, she's been around longer than me. So she's got more experience. I, I think Frank John can figure Savannah Marshall out and actually win the fight. That's what I think. Is is rooting for Franchon, is that in any way kind of rooting against your own interests? Because if Savannah Marshall wins it makes a rematch with you even bigger, as you well know. It makes that an even bigger fight over in the UK. So how do you divide your loyalties on that, from the personal side to the business side? The thing is this. Me and me and French, I have already talked, and we know that the fight between her and I is the fight like Layla Ali versus Ann Wolf. So um, I want her to do well, and I think the fight with uh, a rematch with me, with, uh, with me and Savannah Marshall is huge. And I think the fight with me with uh, me and French on for undisputed is huge. Both of them are huge, so it's not really a conflict of interest. And French on is not scared of me, you know. Even though that we're friends and and we fought before an amateur, she's not afraid of me. We just fought recently, and she and, and she showed me I'm not I'm not scared of you still, <laughs> you know. So you know we were in there going at it. So um. She's not afraid of me, and, and, you know, she'll fight me any day, and we'll put our friendship to the side for the lead-up and all that stuff, and then and, and then we'll fight, and then after the fight, we'll be true athletes like we are, and we'll hug it out and still, you know, still support each other. So, but but I don't think she'll make my outfit if, if you know, if, you know, <laughs> if me and her will get ready to fight each other. But, but um, I believe, like, you know, that we will still work together and everything. She's making my outfit for this fight. You know, so uh, I, I actually just got off the phone with her uh, 10 minutes before talking with you. She was checking on me as a as a friend do to, to make sure that I was OK, because she know how emotional I get when things like this happen. She know how my anger is. And she was just, call, you know, calling me, telling me, like, girl, stay calm. I feel your pain. Just keep it. <laughs> just, just keep a clear head. You know, and then she's like, and I'm going to call you later to make, you know, to give you the tea on, well, you know, to give you the tea about Marcella. So, you know, we are actually teammates, but we understand the bigger picture. And I just want to make sure that um, when me and Franchon Cruz do have to fight each other, that they pay us what we deserve. We get the TV network, we get the venue, and they respect the fight for what it is. It is the fight that you guys never got. When you wanted Layla Ali versus Ann Wolf, you didn't get it. When you wanted Christy Martin versus Lucia Riker, you didn't get it. But you're going to get Clarissa Shields versus Frank, uh, Frank John Cruz, both undisputed champs. That that fight you will get, and, and both need to get paid. Well, it'll be a big fight and could be certainly be even bigger over the next few weeks if both of you guys collect wins in your respective fights. First up for you, Maricela Cornejo, June 3rd, Little Caesars Arena, live on DAZN. Clarissa, always good to catch up, and uh, we'll see you in Detroit. See you, man. 
That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Corey Erdman and Clarissa Shields for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.